0: This podcast is part of the Unresolved Podcast Network. To discover more, visit unresolvednetwork.com. Whether you want to start a faith-based business or an online ministry, you've come to the right place. This is the Teresa Blades Show with your host, Teresa Blaze, where she's bringing her over 20 years of consulting experience to the mic. Now, here's Teresa. Hi, I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is the Teresa Blaze Show. Today, we are talking about credit. Credit. I know, kind of an odd topic, right? But part of financial education is understanding the credit system, and I've brought someone on to help kind of demystify some of those cobwebs. Uh, But before we get to him, I want to touch on our sponsor, and today it is Kadosh Media. Look, you want to give the remnant a voice. You're out there. You have a message, a God-given message burning inside of you. Just press record. We do the rest. Go to Kadosh Media www.kadoshmedia.com schedule a time to meet with us and let's get your podcast started on the right foot there is no time better than today go to www.kadoshmedia.com and now on with the show shall we today we've got mr steve super from compassionate credit repair like i said you know a part of uh Understanding financial education, which is something that I I am very um, passionate about, is understanding the credit system and how it works. So, Steve, welcome to the show. In a uh, bare-bones understanding, how does credit work, say, in a business or a personal sense, and why should we really mess with it? Uh, my
1: mission, if you like, in life is to spread the gospel of good credit. <laughs> I can hear everybody going, oh, no. Okay. So you're asking a great question, but I want to break a few things down beforehand. I want to talk a little bit about people, how people feel about credit before we even talk about credit, because credit can be a very demystifying thing. So let me start off and ask you a question, Teresa. What do you think the difference is between, or the biggest difference between rich people and poor people? The one biggest difference, what do you think it is? Have a guess.
0: I know the most common answer would be money, but I don't don't necessarily believe that.
1: Uh, Well, that's because you're smarter than the average bear. And you're quite correct. Um, If you ask 10 people, what's the biggest difference between rich people and poor people? 9.9% of them will say money. But actually, that's not the right answer. And you'll see where I'm going because I'm going to give you the right answer. The difference between poor people and rich people is one thing, and that one thing is knowledge, information. That's what it is. Rich people have access to information. And have knowledge that the rest of us don't. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Now, the question is, why don't we have that access to information? And my belief is it starts off from being very young. starts off from going to school. I have two kids, one of whom is in university in San Diego, is an A student. And the other kid who's younger, who's 15, who's also an A student. Both of them are really, really clever guys. You can talk to them about algebra, geometry, biology, chemistry, a eh, ton of stuff. But you talk to them about finance, and they look at you like you're an alien from another generation. It's as simple as that. So, the And that's a
0: scathing – That is that right there is a scathing rebuke on our education system. Abso- absolutely. And I want to, t- have I got time to
1: tell you a very, very quick story? Of course. Okay. So I'm just going to give you a story that kind of illustrates exactly what I mean. So, okay, here we go. So my mother, uh, bless her, is 92 years of age. She just celebrated a 92nd birthday, bless her. And my mother is an identical twin. So there's another person running around the planet who looks like my mother, talks like my mother, acts like my mother in a lot of instances, but she's not my mother. Identical twins they are. The only difference between the two identical sisters is $9.6 million. I'll say that again. The only difference between the two identical sisters is $9.6 million at the last count. Now, let me ask you, Teresa, do you think it's my mother that has the $9.6 million or my auntie? Guess which one it is?
0: I say it's your aunt.
1: You're right. Because <laughs> if it was me, I probably wouldn't be on your show. I'd be off somewhere celebrating. You're right. It's my auntie. So, this story concerns my auntie, actually. And at Uh, I've lived in this country now for 28 years. I'm on my 29th year coming up. Just before I left uh, England, my auntie and uncle were celebrating their wedding anniversary. And they had a big party uh, in their back garden. Now, when you think of a back garden, or I think of a back garden, you think of like a nice patch of green grass and some tents put up there and a few people inside, and that's awesome. Their back garden- Like a backyard setting. There you go. Their back garden hosted 8,500 people. Think about that for a minute. So you got some idea of the size of their back garden. So this is a story. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So now you've got some idea about my auntie's lifestyle. Let me tell you the story. So I'm invited to this celebration and I turn up by myself and my cousin- In other words, my auntie's son, who is at that stage, nine years of age, he greets me as I walk in and he can see that I'm carrying my wallet. So I didn't have any any pockets or anything. I was wearing a suit without pockets. And he said to me, let me take that off you, cousin. I'll put it in a house where it's safe. You don't need to worry about it. And at the end of the party, you can come and get it back. And I said, great. So I hand over the wallet. Now this nine-year-old kid has my wallet in his hand. Listen closely. He opens the wallet. In the wallet, there are three different credit cards. He proceeds to take out each card one by one, look at it and tell me what the annual percentage rate is on each of those three cards. He can even... He, he can tell me what, what, how much interest I'm paying. And he knows what the credit limits are. Nine years of age. Now, let me just tell you, when I, when I got home after the party <clears throat> and I was talking to my friends and I told them about this story about my nine-year-old cousin who knew more about finance than I knew, you know, I, I said, oh, he's a spoilt little brat. He's, I don't know, he's like an old man at the age of nine. But as I've grown older, I noticed that I missed a trick. And this is the trick that I missed. When he was a child, when kids sit at the dinner table with their family, they usually talk about television shows or sports or maybe even their day at school. Wealthy families do not do that. Wealthy families sit their kids down and gently introduce them to finance. I'm telling you so that they already know by the age of 18 what a good credit score is, how they need to keep that credit score up, and how they play the money game. Because that's what life is. It's the money game. Even credit is a game. But some of us are armed to attack it, and others simply have an ostrich syndrome. In other words, whenever they hear the word credit, they put their head in the sand, I mean, I don't want to know. I probably have bad credit. I haven't paid my bills. I've not looked at it. I don't care about it. it. It's not in my sphere. Bad mistake. So let's agree, first of all, that any financial education that you have should start from being a lot younger. And I know you agree with that, Teresa.
0: I do, actually. Yes.
1: Now, here's the good. I'm going to give your listeners a piece of advice. And it's a strong piece of advice. And this is what I've done with my kids. So thank God now, and we'll talk about this later. But thank God now, I'm in a very comfortable financial situation. wasn't always like that. I had to work for it, and I'll explain how and why. But thank God, I'm in a good financial edu- a, 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 a good financial position. Whenever I get a credit card, I add my kids. As authorized users. Do you want to put that down? If you're listening to this, write this down. If your kids are under the age of 18 and you happen to have good credit, get them on your credit cards as authorized users. Now, I do not mean give them each a credit card and tell them to go do whatever they want. They don't even have to know anything about it. But why would you put them as an authorized user? Because here's why. Providing you pay your bills, providing you uh, do everything on time, and you really look after what you've got, when your kids get to the age of 18, guess what? They're going to start off life with a 700, 750 credit score. Think about that. Do you know how hard that is to get from the age of 18? Standard 18-year-old kid in our country has zero credit and has to work hard to even get a credit score. But by using that one little trick, you can start them off with a massive, massive advantage. So, if you have, if you're applying for credit cards, or even if you've got credit cards and your credit is in good order, put your kids down if they're under the age of eighteen as authorized users, and that will start them off with a superb credit score.
0: I have never heard anyone tell me that. Never.
1: There you go. So, there's a lot of stuff I I do that a lot of people. It's not that they don't understand. It's just that I've had six financial companies throughout my life and I've built every one of them up from scratch. So finances and credit are something that's common to me. It's easy because it's what I've done all my life. But I know I'm the minority uh, opinion. A lot of people have that ostrich syndrome of sticking their head in the sand and hoping it will all go away. Now, As a good good example of this, I'm going to mention my wife that I truly love, and her name is Dawn. So when I first met Dawn and we talked about what I did, she said, nah, I don't know anything about finances. I probably have really bad credit. I I just, you know what, I'm just, leave it alone. And believe me, and I love this woman, it took me three years, not days, but years, to actually get her to look at her own credit. And when she did, her credit score was 497, not even a 500. So she was right. Her credit was really bad. Within six months, her credit score was 760. Six months. She went from having awful credit to having top tier credit. How did she do it? I taught her the credit game. I taught her how to do it the way that you do it, the order that you do it, because it's a game. That's all it is. It's a game. You you do know that, don't you, guys? The whole credit thing is a game. See, (coughs) there are three credit bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Those are the three major credit bureaus. Now, their job is not just to report your credit score, But their job is actually to provide information to various companies based on that credit score. So if you have a company that says, hey, I want to sell cars, but I only want to sell them to people with bad credit, TransUnion, can you give me a list of a a, a 1,000 people who've got bad credit in my city? And TransUnion sends them the list, and that's how they make their money. Did, did you know that? Were you aware of that, guys?
0: No, I actually was not. I mean, I knew, knew that company. a lot of companies based uh, their decisions or approvals based on your credit. Well, they do.
1: So they're selling that information to companies. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that if your credit is in a bad position, if you haven't got a good credit score, you are worth a hell of a lot more to those bureaus than you are if you've got a good credit score. Did you know that? Why is that? Because the information most people want to sell to people with poor credit. Why do you think that is? Simple. It's because they can charge them the most money. This is how asinine the system is. So if you're poor, if you're struggling to pay your bills... And for any reason you need credit, you're going to have to, you have to spend a hell of a lot more than someone with good credit to get the same product. So let me give you an example, just in case you you think I'm kind of, you know, just talking about it. So let's take a, a Honda, Honda Civic. Nice car, pretty popular car here in Southern California. So if you go out and buy a Honda Civic from a dealer, let's take two people, someone with a 560 credit score and someone with a 720 credit score so say two people go into the dealership 560 720 to buy the same car over six years which is the average car finance deal the person with the poorer credit wait for this will pay over six years eighteen thousand dollars more in interest than the person with good credit, 18,000. Think about that.
0: That's unreal.
1: There you go. Now, here's the thing. Having a good credit score, you know, why why should you have a good credit score? Well, there's a number of reasons why, but to me, the main reason is COVID. So here's why COVID, or as I call it, COVID 2.0. Now, why do I call it 2.0? Because my personal belief is we're going to be headed for another lockdown. Like it or not, wherever the economy is, I think things are going to get so severe we're headed for a second lockdown. Now, in the first lockdown, businesses are forced to close, people are being laid off, they've got no money, they're struggling. This is serious stuff. If you have good credit, in the event that this gets any worse, you're not worrying. You're not worrying because you've always got access to money. That's what good credit is, access to money. By the way, at 0% interest rates. So people with good credit scores at the moment aren't really that too concerned about COVID. It's just the rest of us that are concerned. So you need to get a good credit score and you need to get it quickly. Now, Here's the good news because it's not all bad news I don't want you to think for a minute that it's all bad news so credit affects the finance or the uh, well the purchase of a, a home or a car how much extra interest you pay and um, also affects your ability to rent a house or an apartment even getting a job or even getting something as simple as car insurance now looks at your credit score. So we know it's very important and we know that COVID is coming. Now, remember what I said, here's the good news, because it's not all bad news. So let's talk about the credit bureaus and the credit game for a minute. Now, the majority of people don't know this, but 79% of credit reports in this country have errors or mistakes in them. Were you aware of that, Teresa?
0: I was not aware of the percentage, but I know a lot of uh, credit stuff has some errors. Right. Second thing, over 61
1: million Americans have subprime credit at the moment. That's a score anywhere from 350 to 649. 33 million Americans don't even have enough credit to generate a credit score. And 24 million Americans have no credit file whatsoever. That's a lot of people. So, what's the good news behind all this? Well, the good news is this little act that acts as a gangbuster. And this act that we rely on, that helps us, is a little act called the Fair Credit Reporting Act. If you've got nothing to do, Google it this afternoon. It's a very interesting act. Now, what is this act? Well, this act dictates that if you have errors or unverified items on your credit and they cannot be verified by the creditor or the company that's put you there, they have to be removed from your credit score. Did you know that?
0: Oh, maybe a little bit, but boy, that brings a lot of clarity.
1: Yeah. Now, when I say incorrect, and this may surprise you a little bit because the act goes into detail. So, for instance, if the date uh, of your agreement is not correct, if the spelling of your name is not correct, if your marital status is not correct, if your age is not correct, and there's a whole list of things, if any one of those things are incorrect, that item has to be removed from your credit report. And that is how we get rid of a good 80% of the negative connotations on a credit report. And that's very quickly how you can go from a 560 to a 680 to a 700. It's just knowing the order in which the system works, what letters to send, how to dispute it. And just basically knowing the game back to front better than the credit bureaus. And if you know that, now what I said right in the beginning, knowledge is power. Rich people have knowledge that poor people don't. So our job is to fix people's credit using, well, not just the Fair Credit Reporting Act. There are several other acts that come into play as well. So you have to know the laws. You have to know what governs the principles of what the bureaus can and cannot report. And believe me, they make tons of mistakes. They want to make tons of mistakes. They want to see Theresa Blaze with a 500-credit score more than they want to see Theresa Blaze with a 700-credit score because you're not worth that much to them at 700. You're worth a lot more at 500. And the bureaus are hoping you never even check your credit so you have no idea what's going on. Oh, I missed a few bills and my credit's probably horrible. I'm not even going to look. And here's the surprising thing, Teresa, because I've been doing a lot of talking here. But the surprising thing is this. Even if you have an account and you've had it for a few years and you've missed a couple of payments, so now your credit is not quite as good because you missed a couple of payments in 2019 and maybe one in 2017. Guess what? Guess what? In certain circumstances, we've even been able to get late payments removed from a credit report with the appreciation of the creditor. So we call the creditor and say, hey, here's Teresa. She's had this account for six years. She's only ever missed three payments. And you've marked them down as negative, and it's dragging down her credit. You can see what a good client she is. Would you agree to remove those from the credit report? And in most cases, they say, So it's just knowing certain things. But credit bureaus, and credit bureaus, by the way, are not the only people. The creditors, the collection agencies, they're held to strict state and federal rules regarding how they've got to report your credit. And if they know ways around that, they'll use them. So we're like your defender. We take up your action and we raise your credit. I've been talking a lot here,
0: Teresa. <laughs> yeah, but it's been really good, good stuff. Um, there's a lot here that I was not aware of. Uh, going back to the wealthy and how they train their kids versus uh, typical school-age kids, why is it that you think that we as a society are not training our kids in financial education? what What value do we seem to get by not doing that?
1: My my opinion, for what it's worth, is we want to keep the country dumb. We want to keep lots and lots of sheep. We don't want smart people. We want sheep. We want people who follow whatever they have to follow. We don't like individual individual thinking. We don't like intelligence. We want to keep it with the one percenters up there and the ninety nine percenters down there. Now. The thing about financial literacy, and this is the interesting thing, Teresa, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I'm an old guy. When I was a kid at school, we had subjects like uh, woodwork, metalwork, things like that because um, we felt it, well, not we, but the country felt that it was important for kids to have a trade, be a joiner, be a plumber, be whatever you want to be. We're going to teach you how to do that. They don't teach you about banks. To me, and it's funny because I go to parents' evening all the time and, you know, I hear the same thing. Your kid is great, always does his homework. He's a great student. He's near the top of the class, blah, 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 blah. And I've only ever got into one argument with one teacher. And it was because the teacher was teaching them about the importance of banking banking banks how the banks work now let me ask you a question do you think that's important for our kids to know how banks work
0: i think it's a i think it's a, a a good like first beginning but it depends on how they approach it
1: i agree with you now here's something that you maybe haven't factored into all this i have no problems telling kids how banks work I only have a problem teaching kids to believe in banks. That's where my problem comes in. Because banks are the biggest criminals on the planet. Biggest. And the stuff that they get away with, you and I could never get away with. Big bank, it's amazing what they get away with. Now, let me just give you a quick illustration of what I mean. If you have money and you put it into a bank account, you will get, in certain savings accounts of major banks, you get an interest on it, don't you? The interest that you earn is what? 1%, if that. And by the way, if it's that, and then you pay tax on it, so it's not even 1%. So you have your money, you put it in the bank, and the bank pays you 1%. By the way, you they pay you something called simple interest. So you put your money in a bank. Uh, they pay you one percent simple interest. Now, that same bank is gonna give you a credit card. Talking about credit cards, do you have to pay it back at one percent? I don't think so. I see APRs as high as 25-30%. And by the way, when you pay the bank, it's compound interest, not simple interest. The banks are there to make money from you. Now, here's another thing that you may not be aware of: when you put money into a bank.
0: What do you think happens
1: to that money, Treaser? Any idea?
0: Actually, yeah. Uh, because they they loan your money back out and they loan it up to a bazillion times more so and you're dealing with a fractional reserve system. There you go. Not only that, but they do they play the overnight game. They
1: will invest in certain things overnight with your money and keep the returns and not give you any of it. That's why when you walk into a big bank and say you say, hey, I want to draw out $10,000, they panic. (laughs) Check it out. Next time you go into a bank and ask for a a sizable, not that $10,000 is that much, but they get into a real panic. They haven't got the money. Whoosh, it's gone. Anyway, so what I'm saying is, yes, I would like our kids to get financial literacy, but not, and I don't need to sound cruel when I say this, but not from standard teachers. That's disastrous. By the way, and I'm not saying every teacher is the same, but let's be honest here. Most teachers in this country earn, what, $30,000, $40,000? I mean, they earn very poor money for the job that they do. They are not financial experts. Same as you wouldn't ask me to go to a school to teach a chemistry class because I know nothing about it, Giving teachers the job of educating our kids in uh, financial aspects is another disaster, probably worse than no education whatsoever. (coughs) And I haven't got a downer, sorry, Teresa, I haven't got a downer on teachers, but I think if we're going to agree to do it, we have to let experts do it, not let teachers do it. Does that make sense or does that sound too hard?
0: Uh, I actually would agree. I mean, it's funny, um, and I've said this. Again and again, I feel like I learned more about these kind of issues outside of school than I ever learned in it.
1: Absolutely. But the system wants to keep us intellectually naive because if we're intellectually naive, we can be taken advantage of. And there's 333 million of us in this country that in many aspects are taken advantage of, which is why... Fixing your credit is just the first path to financial, I won't say financial freedom, but being able to breathe again. So for instance, I'll tell you what I mean. If you have a credit score of 580 and you need to get your hands on $10,000 immediately, urgent, you'd be very, very pushed to get that money at the moment, especially with COVID because lenders are not lending to people with bad credit at the moment not even with high interest rates. They're just saying, no, nope, we're not even going to take that risk. If your credit score is above 700, you can get your hands on that money within, I would say, a few hours at the most. So it's important for your survival, your financial survival, to get that credit score up there to a, a far better place than just keeping it very, you know, as a low score, ignoring it, and deciding not to do anything. Now, you know, I always speak to people and people say to me, oh, credit repair sounds sounds very expensive to me. It's very expensive. So this is what I say: Our average client pays us, well, pays us on the credit monitoring service because you've got to have both. So our average client pays us $150 a month, okay? And if you're asking how long does it take to clean up your credit, I would say the average client we've seen sizable moves within three to five months, I would say. In some cases, we've even seen it happen in 30 days. But I'd rather over-promise, sorry, under-promise and over-deliver than the other way around. So, in other words, if you're paying $150 to get your credit repair and you're with us for five months, that means you will spend a total of $750. Now, Remember what I told you about the car, about the Honda, the difference between a 500-odd person getting a Honda and a 700, and the fact that they're going to pay thousands and thousands of dollars more in interest, far more than 750. So to me, financial literacy starts with making strong financial decisions. Is it worth the investment? To me, it's it's a no-brainer. But you know what? Everybody's different. Some people would rather go out and buy a nice bag or, I don't know, go on a holiday or whatever. To me, that's really dumb because all you're doing is you have a long term need and you're taking care of it in a short term way. Oh, my credit's bad. So, you know what? I'll go on holiday. I'll forget about it. Don't worry about it. Silly. So, I sound very preachy. Though. <laughs>
0: If someone is listening now and they're thinking, well, I know my credit is pretty well shot up a river here uh, and I want to take steps to fix it, but what are some concrete things that I can do today to begin that process?
1: Number one, you can write on a big piece of paper and stick it all over your house saying, I will not apply for any credit at the moment. So in other words, if, you, if your credit is in a bad situation and you need money, I know it's difficult, but I'd rather you borrow from friends and family than actually take out another credit card or put yourself in a worse situation. So number one, you've got to, get, you've got to reach mental agreement that you will not apply for any other credit or take a loan while the process is being done that is very important you know we had a client let me tell you what happened very quickly we had a client who we took from a 480 credit score all the way up to 670 and we did that in 4 months and i would have got him to 700 plus had he have taken my advice but after seeing his score go up he decided to apply for three credit cards within a short time score was back down to even worse than what it was before. So you've got to agree to stop spending. That's number one. Number two, get a list of your bills of the money that you owe, and you'll see it on your credit report. But get a list and see which ones you think you can afford to pay off, which ones you can't. Have a strategy. Which ones can you pay extra on? Because Credit is determined by a number of factors. One of those factors is credit card utilization. Now, this is why I say it's a game, because it is a game. You know, they say banks and credit card companies only lend money to people who don't need the money. Think about that. It's probably correct, but that's the way it works. So what I'm saying is part of your credit score is about utilization. And the maximum utilisation you should have on any credit card, maximum, is 30%. So in other words, if you've got a credit card and you've got a credit limit of 10,000, do not ever, ever, ever go over 3,000. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So you need to look at your credit cards, look at the money that you've got in the bank, make decisions which ones you can pay off, which ones you can't. But... Before you do that, get in touch with a, a credit repair specialist because they can—they know these things. They know the order of these things a lot better than you would. They spot things that you won't, and they can definitely give you a strategy. So, you know, I'm not, not always in favor of hiring experts, but when it comes to credit, it's such an important thing that to not hire – and I'm not talking about just calling us – There are a few credit companies out there that are very, very good. But if you call us, you know, we're called Compassionate Credit Repair for a specific reason. We have a lot of compassion in the way we deal with people. We genuinely help people and we go above and beyond. But even if you don't feel like calling us and you don't like my English accent, then there are a lot of other credit repair companies you can call and just ask them, you know, say, hey, I've got my credit report. I'm looking at this, this, and this. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. If they're a good company, they'll help you and not charge you. You know, they'll give you advice. But even the letters that you craft to the bureaus to get things removed should be professionally worded. And that's why bureaus tend to have the information that you don't if you like so i think when it comes to credit it's like fixing your car you know i i've had lovely cars all my life i have no idea how they work how big the engine is all i know is i turn the key and the car moves that's all i know so if my car breaks down i'm not going to buy a book from barnes and noble on how to fix your car and start repairing it i'm thinking you know what i need this car i've got to take it to a body shop same thing with credit I, I do know people who have, who have managed to fix their credit. I know a hell of a lot more people who have tried to fix their credit and it's been disastrous. And instead of putting their score way up, it's actually made the situation even worse. So, you know, I may be a little bit biased, but my advice is if you're looking for credit repair, you're probably best going to a professional. That That's my advice to be honest with you.
0: You know, and I would actually uh, agree. I mean, I, I'm pretty big on you need to have an expert in the different areas. I mean, in, you know, marketing funnels, um, different yeah. things. Um <laughs> my favorite, I just my
1: favorite I, word marketing funnels.
0: <laughs> you know, I mean I just really think that you have to have a coach or someone that you can actually talk to about that stuff. So having an expert to me is kind of a no-brainer in that area. Uh, um I know Robert Kiyosaki describes it like having a a board of advisors that you really want to have that.
1: But what I would say, and this is advice I would give to everybody listening, is when you go to a company, you want to make sure that they're not just removing credits uh, removing negative items from your credit report to put your credit up. And while that's a great thing, and it is great, that's only part of the job. So, you need to find a company that will educate you, tell you what they're doing and why they're doing it. They, need to, they, will, uh, they will hold you. I hold my clients' hands and I'll say, okay, we're now in this situation. Now you need to apply for this card or you need to get this loan. And these are the reasons why. But it's, credit repair clients tend to be with us anywhere, I would say, from three to five months, our average client. Um, but we have had some who've been with us for five, six years. And the reason that they stay with us, even though their credit is fixed, is they don't ever want to get in a situation where it gets bad again. So it's not just repairing credit, it's educating your clients on how to keep that credit the way it should be. You know, because getting there is part of the battle. Staying there is the other part of the battle.
0: Do you have a final... that you would like to leave with my audience on this topic or on the broader issue of financial education? If you ask me the biggest
1: difference between rich people and poor people, and I know I'm talking about this a lot, but I want to try and wake some of your listeners up a little bit. So one of the biggest differences when we talk about credit and finances and all that stuff is three letters. And these are the three letters. O, P M. O P M. And what it stands for, these three letters, are other people's money. Now, why am I talking? Why am I talking to you about this? Because the credit game, and again, you'll hear me talk about it as a game because it is a game, is very simple once you know it. So you can actually make money on credit cards. Did you know that?
0: Uh expound on that.
1: Okay, let me tell you how. So if you have 720, 740 credit score, I have at least 10 different credit cards, and every one of them has a 0% interest rate. But they also have two things that are important. One of them is something called cash back, and the other one is points. So let's talk about those two things for a minute. So let's talk about the cash back. So I have several credit cards that when you spend money on them with a 0% interest rate, they give you the cash back. If I spend $100 in my grocery, some of these cards will give me $5, $6, $7, $7 back to put in my, in my pocket. Now, the good news is with a 0% interest rate, so long as I'm not spending like crazy, so I'm using my credit cards, say, to buy my groceries, But I know I've got the money for the groceries. I'm just using this credit card. Instead of using a debit card, I'm using a credit card to buy my groceries. I already have the money, so I know that when the bill comes in, I can settle the bill on the credit card, and the credit card now owns me money rather than the other way around. See? See how that works? It's so simple. Now imagine you've got a lot of those cards doing that trick. Points. Points. You know, points are something like, well, points. What would you talk about points? Well, a lot of these cards give away airline points, hotel points. Some of these, some of your friends who have gone on the most exotic holidays to the greatest places have done it absolutely free of all charge because they've used their credit cards to garner the points. They've had the money. They've paid it all off, and now they're getting presents back from the credit card. So, Credit cards and knowing credit is not a bad thing. There's a lot of great things that will come your way with higher credit. Unfortunately, with lower credit, you don't even get to see those. You just get the hard end of the scale. You get the higher interest rates, the late payments, blah, 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 blah. So when I mention a credit card to people with bad credit, what they think is, Great, that's some extra money for me to spend because I've got nothing in the bank and my credit score's not good. So, hey, I've got a $2,000 credit card. I can go out and buy some sneakers. That's the way poor people look at it. The way that smarter people look at it is, I'm not gonna use my credit on this card because there's no advantage to it. There's nothing in it for me. You know, I use my debit card. I, I need to use my credit card for certain things. And there are certain dates, like difference between a statement date and a payment date and knowing all these additional things. But the thing is, get wise and get wise quick. I'm actually begging your audience. You don't need to call me and do business with me. You can do business with any credit repair company. But I am telling you, by December, regardless of which party is in power, this country will be hurting financially like you would not believe. And the last thing I want to see any of you do is live on the streets because I've lived on the streets and I'll tell you, it's not a good place to be. So I've been homeless. This is how I actually got into credit. I was homeless for six months, lived on the streets after the 2008 market crash, where by the way, in 2007, I was doing really well. I had a lot of houses, a lot of property, a lot of money. 2008 collapse happened. I lost Everything. And I was out on the street, and that's when I began to learn about credit. That's when I began to think, okay, I'm never going to be in a situation where I've got no money because that's the most frightening of all. So if anything, credit puts you in a security position where if you need access to money, you can get it. You haven't got long to go, guys. I'm telling you now, there are changes in credit. FICO 10 is headed our way. And I'm telling you, unless you get your credit fixed and in a good place by October or November, you could be in severe financial trouble. And again, I hate to end it with a warning, but it's important that your your people listen to this and understand it.
0: You've put a lot of uh, value um, and a lot of information. And I really think you guys, um, I know this is a little bit off the beaten path, um, but I'm passionate about making sure that everybody at least can take away something and apply it to their situation. So we'll see. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. And by the way, if it uh, just before you go, I want to tell this to your listeners. If you want to talk to me, uh, for any reason you want to talk about credit or your financial situation, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not here to sell you my company and tell you you need credit repair. But I want to hold this out to your listeners. If you have a question about credit, if you just want to talk for a few minutes or you want to know anything, let me give you my number and you can call me direct and I'll be here to help you. Either way, I'm not here to sell you. You don't have to take uh, our credit repair services but I am always available for people if they want help. So my phone number is the toll-free number 888-702-3426. So 888-702-3426. And our website is CompassionateCreditRepair.com. And you can read through it. And thank you for having me on, Teresa.
0: Well, it's been it's been really enjoyable, um, and we've learned a lot here. So, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, I I really really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Thank you. Me too. God bless everybody, and have a great and safe and happy new year. Take care.
0: Well, guys, this has been the Teresa Please Show, and. Thank you guys for everything you're doing Thank you for listening Thank you If this has been helpful to you Please share it Share it with someone you think might need it And again If you are looking to start a podcast You know, today's the day Go to kadoshmedia.com And let's, let's uh, Get your podcast going I'm Teresa Blaze This is the Teresa Blaze Show Let's go do this thing